How are we all doing? Okay? Great. If we could have the uh, slide up, please, Jeremy. That's awesome. So um, those of you who know me well will know that I'm a bit of a nerd and I love collecting things. It doesn't matter whether it's fossils, toy cars um, or information. And um, I'm a bit of a collector of statistics. And a few years ago, I came across an interesting set of Christmas statistics. They're probably a bit out of date now, but just roll with it. So 543 Australians were admitted to A&E over the last two Christmases after trying to open beer bottles with their teeth. Since 1996, 31 people have died by electrocution by trying to water their Christmas tree whilst the fairy lights are still on. British hospitals <coughs> reported four broken arms last year after cracker pulling accidents. <laughs> 86 people had small plastic toys removed from the soles of their feet over the last five years. Eight people last year fractured their skulls throwing up in the loo whilst they were drunk. And this one is for all of the dads out there. Five Brits were seriously injured last year in accidents involving out-of-control Skelectrix cars. <laughs> Moving on, Christmas 2003 brought several inst- instances of pieces on earth and bad will to all men. In San Rafael, California, two men exchanged gifts and were offended by what the other had given them. In the resulting fight, each man hit the other over the head with a flower pot and both were hospitalised. Now you might think that's a rare thing, but I personally have a friend who works for Tesco in Maidstone. And they told me uh, one of their jobs as part of the staff team there was to be the kind of uh, first aid cover whenever they were on duty. And one Christmas Eve there was this tannoy announcement, uh, could uh, first aid please come to the frozen food aisle? And when she got there, there were two people in a terrible state. Both of them were bleeding quite badly. One of them was stood up over the other one, grimacing in a kind of angry way. The one on the floor was almost unconscious because the two of them had been fighting over the last frozen turkey and the one who was standing up had smacked the other one over the head with the frozen turkey and knocked them out. As I shared earlier, Simon Mayo this week has been running a series of confessions from people who didn't get the part they wanted in the nativity play and so did terrible things, like painting the eyes of Jesus bright red to freak out the person who who got the job of Mary and so on. So this is why I gave you all a role in the nativity tonight, because we don't want any misbehaviour. But here's the thing, right? One of the things you hear a lot around this time of year is that Christmas is meant to be this festival of peace and joy. When the reality is, quite often it can be a dangerous and unhappy time. But the real danger is not in standing on loose bits of Lego that have been left in the carpet, or even being knocked unconscious by a frozen turkey. The most dangerous thing about Christmas is actually missing out on what it truly is all about. 
see the thing is you can have the tree and the lights and the turkey and the presents and the crackers and the booze and the mistletoe and the chockies and the nervous breakdown from three hours in the queue in Sainsbury's and still not actually touch what the heart of Christmas is all about. And trying to celebrate Christmas without the very reason for this season is a bit like trying to play football without a round spherical object to get in the other person's goal. It completely removes all the meaning from the exercise. And at the end of the day, Christmas is just about one thing. I think you might have guessed what it is already. That's what the focus of this evening has been about. It is about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's about the birth of the most important person ever to walk the face of this planet. Now, I don't know what kind of imagery you have in your head when you think about Jesus. Um, from when I was growing up, I always imagined Jesus to be kind of like a white guy with blonde hair, blue eyes, wearing a nightie, and he hovered about 18 inches above the floor. And quite often he would have woodland creatures perched on his arms. Because those were the kind of pictures that I'd seen in books about him. But the truth is, Jesus was really amazing. You know, he walked around this planet and he healed the sick. And he raised the dead. And he cleansed people who were impure in the religious ruler's eyes. And he met people who were tormented by demonic spirits. And he freed them. Not only that, he had power over nature itself. He could literally in the middle of a storm just speak a word and it would stop. He had mastery over all the laws of nature. He could even walk on water. And in what surely is one of the most interesting miracles of his life, his very first miracle, he actually turned water into wine. Amen indeed. He really, really, really was, and I can't stress this enough, the most important person who has ever walked on the face of this planet. And how do we know this? Well, it's really interesting. In Matthew chapter 2, we get the story of the Magi, these wise men. And it simply says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, presents are really kind of an integral part of our Christmas celebrations, aren't they? Some of you with teeny tiny kids will have the joy of being woken up at 4.30 on Christmas morning. And I rejoice that my kids are a bit older than that now and we have a 7 o'clock rule. And it works so far, so good. But the truth is, you can tell a lot about someone by the kind of presents they're given. So um, for Father's Day last year, I was given the Joe Wicks cookbook. had to be lean and mean. <laughs> I don't think that was a statement about my current state at that time. I think it was a statement of intent. You know, but someone who gets a Kenwood Chef mixer for Christmas probably, in all likelihood, watches Great British Bake Off. You know, the husband who gets the pasting table and the paintbrushes for Christmas is probably the kind of husband who doesn't pick up on the subtle decorating hints that have been dropped... <laughs> over the last 11 months. See, the presents we give say an awful lot about the person who's about to receive them. 
And as we think about these magi, these wise men, they bought three gifts. The first gift, we're told, was gold. You know, gold's the precious metal of kings and royalty. You never see a king wearing plastic crowns or paper cracker crowns. They're always wearing a gold crown. And this baby, no matter how humble his birth, because let's face it, being born in a stinking animal stall is not the best start in life, is it? But this baby, no matter who he was, he was royalty. And these magi, these, these most intellectual of men of their day, scientists and scholars and men of wisdom who had travelled somewhere in the region of a thousand miles to come and pay homage to him, they saw a sign that heralded the birth of firstly a king. A king who'd been long prophesied in their writings. And they head straight to Jerusalem to find him and they want to pay homage. But the thing is, he's not just a king, he is like the king. He is the definitive king. He is the king by which all other kings should strive to get their sense of identity, purpose and mode of operation. But the truth is, not all want to pay homage to this king. And we hear about another king called Herod. And he's so evil, we discover from history, that many of his family members were found sort of floating face down in his swimming pool after they'd had accidents. He was so desperate to cling on to the throne that he would do anything to stop anyone else taking his power. And so when he discovers there's a new king on the block... He puts a contract out on Jesus' head. The second gift that we um, read about in our story is the gift of frankincense. Not Frankenstein, as I saw in one Christmas card this year. You've got three kings, two of them with little pots, and the third one's got this... (laughs) What have you got there? Oh, frankincense, right, okay. You know, in the Old Testament, frankincense is frequently mentioned with regard to offerings to God. In fact, it's only ever used to make offerings to God. And it would be sprinkled on the coals of the altar and the, the fragrant smoke rising up, as it were, to the heavenlies was a symbol of the prayers and thanksgiving of the people. And here, frankincense is being given to a baby. Could this baby not just be a king, but also be God? Well, that is the reality of who he was. He literally was God with skin on. Or as I like to call him, God live in concert. (laughs) You can imagine it. You're just mowing your garden one day, minding your own business, and a removal truck pulls up. Some guys hop out the front. They go to the back and start unloading boxes. A car pulls up. And a guy gets out and says, hi, I'm God. I'm going to be your neighbor from now on. That's the reality of Jesus being born in Bethlehem all those years ago. You know, there's a story about uh, a guy who was a farmer. And he was a bit of a crotchety, grumpy farmer. 
And uh, one Christmas Eve, his wife and his kids were heading off to the carol service at the local chapel. And they wanted to know if dad was going to come. And he was a bit grumpy and crotchety. And he hated Christmas. He's like, no, I'm not coming. And he sat in the lounge and threw another log on the fire. And over the evening, he realized that the winds had picked up. And and, uh, rain started to fall, which then turned to sleet. And eventually, there was this huge blizzard sweeping through. And then he heard this racket going on outside and he looked out the window and he could see that there was this flock of geese that had been grounded by the storm. And, you know, he he was a bit grumpy, but he wasn't evil. So he thought, I'll go out and I'll see what I can do for these geese. And he realized he had this barn and if he could just get them in the barn, they could ride out the storm. So there he is in the middle of a blizzard in his slippers and a woolly hat chasing around after these geese, trying to herd them into this barn and they wouldn't. And he's like, oh, for goodness sake, if I could just become a goose, I could show them where safety was. And in that moment, he got what the Christmas story was about. That we're like those geese. We're running left, right and center. and We haven't got a clue where safety is. And God turns up in a form that we recognize to show us the place of safety. He became like us, so we could experience some of who he is. And then finally, we have myrrh. I saw a sketch once, and the three wise men have gathered together, and the first one says, Behold, I have bought gold. And the second one says, Behold, I have bought frankincense. The third one has this box that's a weird shape and it's a bit odd. And he goes, I've bought, um, uh, um, uh, I'm not really sure what it is actually. <laughs> so they called it myrrh. <laughs> what is myrrh? Well, myrrh is the perfume for everyday life. It was something to make life a bit more pleasant in that hot Middle Eastern world. It was an aesthetic that was used to make pain less dreadful. It was a preparation used on bodies to make burial less repulsive. And this is the paradox of the Christmas story. There's always excitement when there's babies born, isn't there? But the paradox is this baby was born to die. The paradox of the Christian Christmas story is yes he is a king and yes he is God but the reason he's given myrrh is it is a prophetic foretelling of the death and burial he's going to endure he was going to die on a cross to open the way so that we could enjoy the love of the father There is no crib, folks, without the cross. The two are intimately bound together. And the truth is, to enjoy friendship with God, we have to deal with the sticky issue of sin. It's not a word we like using. It's not a word we like using in response to our own lives. But here's the great second paradox of this story. You know, there is much that's praiseworthy about humanity. But there's also much that's despicable. We make marriages and have celebrations where people come together and pledge undying love. And then years down the line, they break those promises. We spend millions of pounds every year creating fertility drugs. 
and yet we abort hundreds of thousands of babies. We create artistic masterpieces that are truly stunning and at the same time we allow the development of slums. We have the most advanced communication systems ever in the history of the world where literally you can pick a small phone out of your pocket and talk to somebody on the other side of the world. And yet, for many of us, we're unable to even communicate with people in the same building we live in. With the same mouth, we can praise one person and we can curse another. With the same arms, we hug and we fight. With the same eyes, we can watch the marvel of an incredible sunrise or sunset. And yet, on our news programs, day after day after day, we can watch the horrors as our planet tears itself apart with war and hatred. And you know, it was for these inconsistencies of character that these falling shorts of God's standard that Jesus came and died. Literally to become the bridge between a pure God and a sinful humanity. Now you might be sitting here tonight going, well I'm not sure that applies to me. Not sure, you know, I've ever had a problem with sin. And I just want to say something really simple to you. Go down to the supermarket on Christmas Eve and stand in a queue there for about three hours. When there's children screaming and the person behind you is skinning the heels of your legs as their trolley keeps bumping into you, I promise you, if you stop for a minute and listen to some of the self-talk that's going on, like what you would like to do to that person and all the creative ways that you could dispose of their body... I think I've said this before, but many years ago, I realized that Kit Kat understood something that most of the human race didn't. And that was how prone we are to mess up. Because if you notice, they have these little advertising things on the inside of trolleys now. So as you're pushing the trolley around, there's this advert talking to you the whole time. And I was pushing this trolley around the supermarket and it said, trolley rage? Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. <laughs> And I thought, yep, Kit Kat, you got me. (laughs) You got me. But that's the amazing thing about Jesus. Here is this person who is God, who is king, and he comes to die. And the reason he dies is to provide what I call the great exchange, where he takes the punishment we deserve, and he makes available to us the life he enjoys. The Bible calls it life in all of its fullness. There was once a man who was overheard in a Christmas supermarket queue saying this, I should blooming kill the person who started Christmas. <laughs> which this woman turned around to him and said, well, actually they did. Well, we've done our nativity together tonight, and I want to say there's many roles that you can play in the Christmas story. But I want to ask you a question tonight, and it's simply this. What's your role in the Christmas story? Like, who are you playing 
in the real Christmas story. Are you like Mary, who just simply wants to fulfill the will of God? Let it be to me as you've said. That was her great declaration. Or maybe you're like Joseph, you know, you just want to do the right thing, irrespective of the personal cost. Because let's be honest, you take a pregnant woman in, in those days, when you're not the dad, there's all kinds of interesting conversations and finger-pointing going on. Maybe you're one of those two in the story. Maybe you're like the first innkeeper who turns Jesus away. Maybe you're the second innkeeper who actually decided to make some room for Jesus. Maybe you're like the shepherds. I don't know if you know this, but shepherds were kind of like the downcasts of their day. You know, if the shepherds were in town, you double-locked your doors at night. You locked up your wife and daughter. And yet here they are, these ignorant shepherds, and yet they're the first ones who get invited to come and praise God in flesh. Maybe you're like Herod. You want to cling to the power of your own throne, the throne of your own life, irrespective of the cost. Maybe you're like the Magi. Maybe you are a person of, of great intellect and wisdom and understanding. But the truth is, they recognized who he was. And it was beyond their human understanding. What I want to say to you as we finish tonight is simply this. Whatever your role that you choose to play in the real Christmas story, there is no story without Jesus. Christmas just is not Christmas without him. The Magi make no sense without Jesus. The shepherds make no sense without Jesus. Mary and Joseph make no sense without Jesus. And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do is place Jesus smack bang in the center of your Christmas. And when you've done that, why don't you do what the Magi did, which is actually give him a fourth gift. Do you know what that fourth gift was? Their worship. They bowed down and they worshipped him. You know, Father God gave us the most precious gift he had when he sent Jesus. And my encouragement and my challenge to all of us tonight is will we give him the most precious gift we have, which is our total and full selves. Because then, and only then, do we get to experience the kind of peace that the angels sang about. Then, and only then, do we experience the kind of life in all of its fullness that John the Apostle wrote about. And Jesus offers an invitation. He says, my kingdom is so close, you can literally reach out and touch it if you will just have a change in the way you think. And tonight, I want to encourage you to change how you think. And I want to encourage you to change your thinking to this simple thing. He is number one, and he is worth it, and he is worth my worship. Can we just pray for a moment? I want to invite the band up, if you would, guys. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this incredible gift of life that you gave us in Jesus. 
And God, I just want to pray for each one of us tonight. You would somehow, over this crazy, insane, busy week that's coming up, just help us to find the space to turn our thoughts and just think about where we are in this great Christmas story, who we're going to play. And I just want to pray for each one of us that we would be able to, with your grace, God, just to be able to say, I choose to worship Jesus. I choose to place him first. And we just ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. I just want to encourage you that if that is a decision you want to make and you've never made that decision before, please take some time to come and talk to me or Tim at the front here at the end. We'd love to help you with that process. But in the meantime, I'm going to ask you to stand and the band's going to play a sound soon.